particular hurry. Today's episode features someone who everyone on Sixers Twitter knows or should know, the Kevin Rice. He's been crushing the breakdowns. He talks in turbo fast forward. He's someone that I've written with at Liberty Ballers for quite a while now. He's got some really impressive jump rope videos, and he's got some really impressive basketball takes. So without further ado, let's talk to one of the funniest follows on Sixers Twitter that there is, the Kevin Rice. All right, I got the Kevin Rice. How are you? Great, Dave. How are you? Good, good. Um, I was cracking up at your uh, your tweet. I think it was, was it Patrick from SpongeBob? And he had like set an alarm for three in the morning and he had like a hamburger under the blanket. Okay. And, then, <laughs> and then you dropped, <laughs> then you dropped a breakdown. And for some reason I was up too. <laughs> yeah. It's still, cause I mean, the breakdowns that I do on Twitter usually are put, like, I finish them around like midnight, usually on a normal game, but when they're on the West coast, obviously it takes a little longer. So I'm usually up at 3am anyway, but when I'm, editing videos it makes it go by a little faster so <laughs> I are, have to are you count. a night owl generally absolutely yeah i love <laughs> 2 a.m to like 5 a.m or like the best hours of the day <laughs> is that is that when you feel you're most creative yeah for huh. sure i don't know my, my brain just breaks i think then and when it breaks just it's just going wild <laughs> and then you then you ride the break yeah and it's from i don't usually like do a ton of stuff from that point but I'll wake up and be like, oh, that was a good idea. I'm going to do that. Like, that's basically how I thought of how I wanted to do the breakdown videos because Ben Solak, who's, oh, God, I forget what site he writes for, but the NFL does a lot of breakdowns. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning. I was like, I could do that. And then the next morning, I did it for Sixers opening day. So it's just like those those hours are just prime time for me of creativity. Yeah, I've really really been enjoying them. Uh, And I think you're getting better and better at them as you you sort of do them more. Thank you. Um, they're really, they're really insightful. And I, I'm not like a traditional like X's and O's expert. So I find them extra helpful because there's a lot of stuff that you're pointing out that I'm not even noticing. Like, especially when I'm on the edge of my seat in crunch time of a game. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I really would have to rewatch that to figure out what the heck just happened. Yeah. I'm under, like, I do not think of myself as like a very smart X's and O's person. I can point out stuff like everything I say in the videos is stuff that I know. Like there's absolutely more stuff going on that I'm not catching. And I'm hoping that I can start to catch more stuff as the season progresses year after year. But it's more of just reading and watching other people see what they see. And then I can pick up what they're seeing and other stuff too. Uh, it, it does feel good. like I never thought I'd be an X, like get into the X's and those stuff, but it does feel good to like notice something and be like oh that's interesting i wonder why they're doing that and it's like i was trying to think of the game last night they were against the kings they were trying to like get into more sets it seemed and that's when the kings just started like shooting the lights out and just taking advantage of it because the sixers were trying to slow it down not slow it down but like get into their design sets like make sure everyone's in the right place and the Kings would get a rebound immediately, go down and shoot a three. And the Sixers were like, wait, hold on, what? Yeah, I, I I can't remember if it was it you or was it Jackson Frank. I think it was one of you who were like, the Kings want to play so fast and the, and the Sixers are not imposing their will. They're actually trying to keep up, which is yeah. backfiring. Yeah, and Jackson both said that in different <laughs> different forms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was quite obvious. So 
<laughs> yeah. So, which is weird because over the years, it's like 2016, 17, we've seen the Sixers play at that kind of speed where they might be under talented or not as talented as the other team, but they just play at such a quick pace that they can kind of catch it by surprise. But now it's flipped and it's weird to think that the Sixers are the ones that like need to be game planned for, even though like they've been good for a couple of years now. It's still weird to me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely been like a weird progression, and then like not linear at all. I know yes. Sam Hinkie would say that, but like I just mean like last year they were like clunky and large, mm-hmm. and this year it is flowing a lot more. I think when I watch like the totality of your breakdowns, I think the thing that like pops into my mind as a main theme and takeaway from your breakdowns is that Joel Embiid is passing much better and they're like really utilizing him in that way. Yeah, absolutely. It um, stems from Daryl Morey actually putting like decent or like <laughs> de- yeah, decent players and like decent fits around him. I should say. Is it just that or has he made progress? Like what would you say the split is in terms of personnel and his improvement? I think it would be, that's interesting. Um, I think they go hand in hand. I will, I don't think it's 50 50 because he, I would say the chicken of the egg here is that he got good players around him, Seth Curry, Danny Green. He got good floor spaces around him, and then he was able to show how smart he is with the ball in his hands. And, like, the decisions he was making last year weren't partly his fault, not totally his fault, just because he didn't really have players who knew where to be, knew how to surround him, and now he does. So I would say it was just first he got good floor spaces around him, and then he is able to showcase his, like, like automated learning because the first couple of years in the league we, we like legitimately saw him like learn the game almost on the fly and it was yeah. like a new game he would just do something different so passing i thought was really like that kind of passing and handling i guess like those last two things he needs to kind of bump up and passing is happening this year so it's like i didn't not expect it to happen but obviously last year it was not gonna happen and now it is and it's really cool to see because he's making just really smart reads and using his size to his advantage yeah it's interesting you said that i i was lucky to get uh drew hanlon his trainer on the pod mm-hmm. yeah uh, and he mentioned that he is like his fastest processing student yeah and he, he just takes something like we're another one of his, the players he coaches will have to practice it like 635 times, but mm-hmm. you only needs to see it a few times. And then it's like in his, in his repertoire, which yeah. is, he said he was blown away by. That's uh, like extremely rare for a player. Like that's not like, especially a big, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you had that, that fun of... play where you were like, so right now the ball's in the air. <laughs> Joe has no idea that Harrison Barnes is coming to double him. I think you said someone has to communicate this to him. Yeah. Maybe, maybe be Obviously, we can't hear that on the broadcast. I assume someone yelled at him, double, double, because he, I mean, right when he caught it, turned the right way and, like, took a half step and then. <laughs> yeah, he did. Off. He took a half step yeah. to get his, like, hip and he beamed it. Yeah. Like, like on the money. Like, absolutely. <laughs> like, it was ridiculous. Like, I stood, like, didn't stand up, but I was, like, I, like, sat up on my couch when he passed that. It, like, Tobias did not. Off. Yeah. Yeah. Tobias did not move his hands to catch the ball. Like, that is so stunning. So and, and to Tobias's credit, he's drilling those. Like, yeah, oh yeah, that seems like a shot that wasn't in his game last year. Yeah, he was seemed to be trying to improvise a lot more rather than just doing the Clippers Tobias of just catch and shoot, like take what's there, don't try and create anything you don't need to create for. And that has again helped Joel so much. I thought 
Seth Curry was going to be the biggest help to Joel this year, just because he has that Redick dribble handoff kind of capability. Yep. But Tobias has been really, really good playing off Joel and using Joel as a screener, using Joel's gravity to get shots for himself. So in every video breakdown, like every single one I have done, I could have done a Joel segment just because he is opening up the floor for literally everyone else. Well, I lost a few, and even when you don't, it's still almost like a theme where they yeah. like at least begin the play giving him mm-hmm. – uh, you know, you pointed it out a couple times. Like, here he hits Toby for a back door, and then remember this, so that the next time the defense does something else, and that's what frees up the corner three. Yeah, so they're asking him – and I remember – I forget what game it was exactly, but the season started off with Joel in the post a lot, and he was making – passing out of double teams decently well, better than we had seen out of the post – I forget what game it was, but then Doc Rivers, I think at halftime, moved him like to the top of the key or like the elbow and had him kind of facilitating out there. Like the Nets do with DeAndre Jordan, but that doesn't work as well. Like DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> I wonder Jordan. why. But you have a big at the elbow, Draymond, another example, but he's obviously not the same player as Joel. But the, having a big at the elbow like that, and again, a good processing, a legendary processing big in Joel Embiid, uh, this opens up the floor so much for those other guys. So yeah, like I, my friends would always ask me, like, are you going to talk about something else other than Joel? I was like, all right, fine, I will. But you know, yeah. I mean, it's like, what are we, twenty something games in, and and yeah. we have a legit MVP candidate. Yeah, there was a guy, uh, Tony Jones on Athletic today, who wrote a funny intro. He was like, I really didn't want to write a Donovan Mitchell piece. I wasn't <laughs> going to write a Donovan Mitchell piece, but I had to. Like, yeah, he's so sick. Yeah, it's it like. <laughs> I was very, very young for Iverson. Like I didn't, I don't really remember it, but mm-hmm. like I was, I didn't understand anything that was happening. And <laughs> I really, like, I really got, like, I, I was a, always a Philadelphia Phillies kid growing up. And then in yeah. like 24, 13 or 14, I think I started to get into the Sixers. And then Joel was drafted on my birthday in 2015. Oh, God. And I didn't really know anything about him. Like I was still a new kid to the sport. And my, I'm a basketball family. Like my dad coached, my mom played. Um, so, oh, really? Yeah, so I was getting that into makes you a Gemini somewhere around May twentieth or or June. I'm a, I'm a fresh Cancer. I'm June twenty sixth. Yeah, okay. I'm early Cancer. But yeah, so like growing up in a basketball family, I was like, oh, I should probably get into this. My mom wanted me to be Grant Hill when I grew up, and I was like, really, I don't, I don't know who that is, mom. <laughs> <laughs> like, can I be Chase Utley, please? And then yeah, so I started into basketball, and then I've just been learning with Joel Embiid ever since, really. So it's wild to me that like. I watched those process years and like they, they were so bad, but I loved them so much. And it doesn't even seem real that there's like an actual MVP on the Sixers now. Like it, it doesn't hit me at all. People are like, is it yeah. Embiid or Jokic? I'm like, it's probably Jokic. And like, no, it's Embiid. I'm like, no, what? <laughs> like, wow. Oh, you're right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely those three with LeBron. Um, yeah. I, I bet on LeBron just because I feel like the narrative is going to be there for him. I feel like yeah, the voters are like, we, we cannot give him like, they're pushing that hard. Yeah. <laughs> there, so I, which is weird. But it would be really fun to have one for Joe. Yeah, that would be so, so cool. Especially after the year last year, it was like me. I was being like, please trade him to Miami so he's happy again. Like, I just want to see him happy and thrive. I did too. I, I literally wanted that for him, which was like mind-blowing to root for. Yeah, I was like, people were yelling at me, like, deservedly. Like, what are you talking about? Like, dude, I, I don't care. I just don't want to see Joel Embiid sad. And I never thought he would turn it around here. Just because <laughs> Maury helped a lot. But but you had you had some, I can't remember the specific ones, but you did have some feelings where you were, like, mad at the Sixers. Oh, yeah, obviously. Like, 
I don't know. Do any do any Sixers organization listen to this? But um, I, yeah, I don't like know. Maybe were, someone is telegraphed to like listen to everything or something. <laughs> All right, this is for our Sixers FBI agent then. Yeah, some intern. <laughs> yeah, hello intern. Um, like they were just very clearly didn't prioritize Joel. They wanted to. I'm using they as just a. A blanket for everyone. I'm not going to yeah, say yeah. anyone. Um, they just didn't prioritize Joel. They th- thought they were smarter than they were, I think, and didn't really have the basketball mind that they should have. And the, <laughs> they always preached analytics and they did everything analytics says not to do of just get every big man. Yeah. Um, they're doing a lot better with that this year, obviously, just getting rim pressure in threes. But it was, I thought it was pretty evident that the whole kind of lore around the Sixers and the atmosphere was just not healthy and cleaning house like that, including Brett. Unfortunately, I like Brett a lot, but getting him out of there, getting a new front office regime in there obviously has one like inspired Joel and the rest of the team. Like they respect the hell out of Doc Rivers, it seems. And just getting those, the Seth Curry, Danny Green, Tobias, even just around Joel playing better has helped him so much just to be happy again so i no longer want to trade him to miami <laughs> now yeah. we need Jimmy butler back <laughs> i was i was honestly skeptical about the doc because things were so muddy for him in la like the way it happened oh yeah yeah at the end there and there were just every other day there was this this weird story like the old guard didn't like Kawhi load management i was like come on do you know who he is yeah like, he does whatever he wants and you're just lucky to be there yeah. but but docs won me over um, and I, so I'm going to ask you a similar question to the one we talked about through the lens of Joel's passing. How much is what we're seeing in the better play? And the you, like you tweeted yesterday, I'm excited to watch basketball. Mm-hmm. And you probably wouldn't have felt that way a year ago. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and, and, and I agree with you. Like I'm excited for when the game is on. How much do you think Doc has contributed to what we're seeing is he doing things brett didn't is it just the personnel um and what are they doing that you like yeah what well, like i rewatched some old because i was trying i did one uh breakdown on ben when he was struggling and like what it was different from this year to his sophomore year in the league and i was just watching a bunch of play ben buckets and like the sets brett brown had were like really creative and just like put people in position especially after timeouts and everything in crunch time to it get him like downhill of- yeah, it was a lot of creative stuff. He'd use Covington as a passer out of the post a lot to set Ben up without him having to make like a ton of decisions. Even though Ben's a good decision maker, but like just got Ben downhill quicker than everyone. So yeah, uh, that obviously trailed off, and the players seemed to lack a lot of respect for Brett. Unfortunately, he seemed like well, it was mine, which is also weird because like the process players loved Brett. The Isaiah Cannons, Covingtons, all those guys. TJ loved Brett. So it was weird to have that kind of drop off. It kind of makes sense. He's not a young guy, but a young, a first time head coach doesn't really command that kind of respect Doc Rivers does. And that's one thing that I don't think we can measure at all or like really see behind the scenes. But I think from the uh, press conferences and everything before the season, it's quite clear that Joel, Ben and Tobias obviously are new Doc, but Joel and Ben really respect Doc and are very much willing to listen to him and Sam Cassell and everyone else on the bench. So I think that's been a major culture change on the court for them. Uh, play style wise, Doc has done a few different things, just getting Ben downhill a little bit more. Brett did a good job with that too. He ran he ran those plays for Ben and TJ, Brett Wood, of getting TJ downhill on the catch. <laughs> Is that a thing, TJ downhill? Yeah, there were a couple. I, I, yeah, it was similar to the ones Doc runs, but 
That's a good teaser for the name of this podcast, Getting TJ Downhill. <laughs> it's a TJ McConnell podcast about <laughs> his 15 assists or whatever he had the other day. But it was just, I think the culture changed. Like Josh Richardson was the only one last year who really seemed to like want to bring everyone together. And that's not good when it's a first year player, when he, or first year player on the team wanting to do that. Especially when he was like clearly not that thrilled to be here too. So yeah, was- yeah. Like, I don't know, Sixers Adam would tell me all the time, like, when he was in the locker room pre-COVID, obviously, and he would just be around Josh Richardson, Adam was like, he just like radiates, has this like aura of just like, he's the effortlessly coolest and most humble person in the room. And I was like, yeah, I, I can get that. And I like wanted him to stick around because he seems like an awesome guy, like a decent enough player to have, but didn't fit, obviously. Yeah, he's so likable. And I feel bad now. I watched a, a Dallas game the other day and he... I forget who he had in the post. Maybe it was Luca, and he didn't. He just didn't give it to him. Like he thought about making the entry pass, mm-hmm. and I had such flashbacks of the bubble. Yeah. Like Joel is just working on Tice, yeah. and Josh will just think about it and then swing it back to Toby, top of the key. And I was like, why doesn't he like to make that pass? And he yeah. still doesn't love to make that pass. Maybe he feels it's boring or ineffective. And I think you're right. I think it just wasn't the best fit. Yeah, I mean, just. I was just thinking on the fly here because I was going to say Covington was like the only good entry passer on the Sixers in Embiid's era. And Embiid is like one of the best entry passers on the team too, unfortunately. <laughs> but, but like I was thinking that like, oh, maybe it's just a height thing that like they can see over the top of their mm. defender and get in the post. But I was like, well, Ben isn't the best entry passer either. So I don't know what it is. But yeah, it's good to see that they have people who can. It also didn't help that Josh was passing like immediately into a double team. Like immediately when Josh would release the ball to pass into Joel, the Celtics or anyone really would double off Ben, would double off Tobias, someone. So it wasn't like it was the cleanest pass in the world for Josh, but it, it, right. happened, it happened too often that it was like, oh my God, like this this, this is not working. So, yeah. but back to the back to your question. Um, yeah, I think Doc is just putting people in better positions to surround themselves with Joel. And it's half play. Like we Sixers fans would blame Brett if the team played bad and praised players when they played well, which I didn't really like. And then this year, it seems like it's more synergistic of players being in the right position, like veteran players knowing where to be on the court, knowing where to rotate, where to go, when the ball's put on the floor, and Doc also coaching them of where to be and everything like that. So I think it's a obviously a step up from Brett. St- speaking of this, um, like knowing where to be and the rotations – uh, Matisse took, I guess, Maxi's minutes yesterday almost mm-hmm. completely, right? And he had a massive impact on the game. He went out scoring. Yeah. What did you shot? <laughs> yeah. What did What did you think of? Um, I think was it, who wrote was it? Derek Bod. Someone at the Athletic, I think Derek Bodner or Rich Hoffman wrote. Doc talked about how it was actually better to have Matisse on Fox, De'Aaron Fox, mm-hmm. so that way we could put Ben on someone closer to his body size, and that really worked. So I wonder if that's going to be something we'll see more of. And what did you think of Matisse's performance? What did he earn? Uh, coming into the year, I I like wasn't sure about Matisse because obviously last year he had this the extreme regression from three and wasn't producing enough on offense to, um, I guess, award his defensive efforts. This year, I well, beginning of the year, I thought he could maybe be used as kind of that matchup guard of he's not going to give you anything on offense, really. <laughs> They're going to completely ignore him. I did not think he'd 
be like this <laughs> impactful one-on-one especially he's like a really good defender in the passing lanes but last year especially he got he was always really handsy on the ball like he would foul tatum all the all the time yeah like yeah. he wouldn't move his feet he'd try and just reach in all the time this year he looks a lot more tame which is what they Docker is and everyone said they would work or working on with him and in, couple- in, that, in terms of that you mean taking less risks like blocks from behind and pull-up jumpers stuff like that sort of that but it was if like tatum was the only he always tatum always gave matisse trouble so i'll just talk about him like Matisse would play way high up on Tatum, which he like, which he should, but he would get like right in his pocket, but be totally flat footed and like wouldn't really like be able to stay with him like right off Tatum's first step. This year he's playing a little bit further off, which is fine because he has like go go gadget arms where he can just con- extend and contest. So now he's playing a little bit off the player more and giving them a little bit more space. And he has all those recovery tools still, like the blocks from behind are fantastic. Um, I think he's learning shot fake mechanics too of just when to and not to lunge into people and everything. The game he had against Fox was just ridiculous. Of he had another block that was just it didn't make any. He looked like he got shot out of a cannon. I, I know the one you're talking. You're like I don't know yeah. if you fouled him. I don't really care. It was a phenomenal play either way. <laughs> yeah. It was just ridiculous. He had a couple other just awesome defensive possessions against Fox. And if he's if that's his value on this team, um, it. I don't know if that can work in the playoffs really because rotation shorten up, but then again, so it's tough. Like, I don't know if he has that kind of value in the playoffs, but for now in the regular season, that's a really interesting um, spot and role for him. And he says he really likes it. Ben Simmons, I know <laughs> said last last or uh, Kings game post game. He says, sometimes I just look to Matisse and say, it's time to lock up. And that's really cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's that kind of camaraderie on the court where it's like time and you could, we could see it like, fourth quarter second half really but the fourth quarter the Sixers were just nailing coffin on the Kings like they were not letting them get anything comfortably yeah so I know this one is from Derek Bodner he pointed out that the Sixers have like a a 98 defensive rating in the fourth quarter Mm -hmm. and that's like where they're earning their money they're they're, I guess the narrative you could construct from that is that they're buckling down late Mm -hmm. in the games um let me see if I can pull up the stats which I don't love in theory because net rating 13.7 in the fourth yeah. defensive rating 98.8, which is by far their best of any other quarter. But yeah. yeah, I don't love that in theory, just because if you're letting a team kind of get what they want for three quarters, there's no um, like evidence that you can just then st- like you can learn what they're doing, but there's no evidence. You can just like stop their shots from falling all of a sudden, like if they're, still getting, right. like if they're in rhythm and everything. So Are they like, procrastinating or something. <laughs> yeah, if it works, it works. Like I'm not going to complain, but just, yeah. Like the, it was just a weird game last night. Cause what was it like 72 to 70 or something after or 72 to like 60 something after the first half at like halftime. Yeah. It was yeah. Uh, a, a lot was like, I, this is a pickup game. Yeah, like there was, there was no defense happening. And then all of a sudden it was just like it flipped the switch. There was one play that NBA.com didn't have up and I couldn't clip it, but I really wanted to. Um, I think Matea, Ben got blocked on a layup and it was just like a scramble for the ball, like for throughout the entire court, like Fox threw behind the back pass. Like everyone was just everywhere and like no one looked like in sync. <laughs> and then I think Halliburton tried to make a pass down low and Joel Embiid like so nonchalantly just like took a step back and stole it. And like that was the point I'm pretty sure where it just kind of started clicking for the Sixers of like the Kings. Like 
um, metaphorically or figuratively, like the Kings were just trying to run and do all this stuff. And then Joel Embiid just steps back and is like, nope, it's our time now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I, th- I think it was the podcast he did with the rights to Ricky guys. And mm-hmm. he was like, I've kind of figured it out. I know it was a cat and mouse game on when to block, when to steal, when to j- drop coverage. Mm-hmm. And then we, we sort of called them all out. We were like, but you should be up higher on Kemba and Tatum in the bubble. Yeah. Um, but it, whatever they're doing now seems to be working. I think he's mixing up his coverages mm-hmm. and teams are smart not to try him. Like yeah, you posted a couple of his blocks. It was just like, <laughs> really ridiculous. Yeah. He has the like just spectacular footwork and precision on everything. Last year, especially too, you mentioned just he would not be high up on Kemba. That's another thing that changed this year. Um, I don't know who on the coaching staff was letting, I think it might've been Ime Udoku, uh, was letting him drop down that much. Obviously that was not, it's not like how you play drop scheme. <laughs> like you can't, you can, that's another thing. Like they preach the analytics and then they are like, oh, we'll just allow two point shots. Well, no, you don't allow two point shots. You allow contested two point shots. Like there's a, there's a lot of nuance to like everything that, goes into just disallowing threes and layups. So this Do you year, think Joel's that's a conversation Daryl and Doc have had? Like, here's the shots I want to give up, but I want them at least a hand up. Yeah, I would assume so. Defense in the NBA and in college especially, are, like all defensive schemes are just deciding what you want to give up on offense. Because unless like you are a historically great defensive team and like have all the personnel to do it, you're never going to like clog up every – like, like Brett would say, which side which do you fall on? Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's, and I hate cliches because like they're mostly true, but like that's <laughs> one that's absolutely true. Like, but then again, like you don't have to fall directly on the sword. Like you can fall at an angle. Like there's, there's a <laughs> lot more that goes to. into it. Yeah, there's a lot more that goes into it just falling on the sword. But then this year, I mean, oh, fuck, was that? Oh, sorry, I cursed. Uh, was that two years ago? I'll just tell Steve we got an explicit one. That's it. <laughs> Mark the timestamp. Yeah. Um, I think it was two years ago. Kyrie, yeah, Kyrie on the Celtics. And in Wells Fargo Center, Kyrie. Oh, early I know on, the play. I know the yep, play. Yeah. Early on in the game. Just before drew, Jimmy's pull up. Yes. He had the block. But early in the game, Kyrie had an and one on Joel on basically the same play. And I'm pretty sure Joel after that game or after the next game was like, I'm like, like, to what you said i'm learning like what to do figuring it out and like what you literally saw him like in the course of the game like two quarters later learn Kyrie's footsteps and like know how to maneuver around it and rise up for the block without even touching him so like it's just that kind of and you don't get to know that i mean Kyrie is like literally one of the best finishers i've ever seen yeah like he just like so unpredictable yeah like he's just has all the body movements down like that that's unreal so yeah, giving Joe like putting Joe higher up in that drop coverage, and like if a guard goes blows by him, he has all those tools and instincts to recover. It happens to Rudy Gobert a lot too. Of he'll switch onto a guard and they'll blow right by him, and he will just kind of like plot his way behind. Him. And he has extremely long arms too, but which helps. But it's all those like instincts of you have to trust your best defensive player and your best player to figure that kind of stuff out, especially when he's shown every ability to learn that quickly. So I'm glad they're doing it this year because it's obviously made a gigantic difference. Yeah, let me take a look. I'm going to pull up some stats and I'll share this with you. Uh, Frequency of shots taken at the rim. So this is the frequency of shots that the Sixers allow at the rim. They're ranking 19th in the league. Teams shoot 35.3% of their shots. 
against Philly. So it's kind of average. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what I would have guessed. And I'll look up all mid-range. This is from Cleaning the Glass. All mid-range. The Sixers are allowing. This is the swords they're falling on. <laughs> uh, all mid-range. I'll edit this so it seems like I didn't think so much. <laughs> I'll stay quiet. <laughs> ninth. Okay, ninth in all mid-range attempts. So. Okay. So ninth mid-range. So they're allowing the ninth most or the ninth least? Uh, the ninth least. Okay. So I guess that's like, yeah, Charlotte is really taking it away, and then a team like Washington and Utah are offering more of those. Mm-hmm. I know the Bucks took that away last year, I think, or two years ago. They really allowed a lot of threes, but the the swords they fell on where they were allowing like the non great three point shooters who were trying to space the floor, Matisse Thybulle, like those kind of guys, like they would allow those open three point looks because if you're gonna get beat, you'd prefer to get beat by like the guy you shouldn't get like yeah yeah shouldn't hit you you count on the guy not hitting shots who doesn't hit shots yeah Even the Sixers uh the Sixers VP had a good post on that it was like the Bucks are taking or giving you threes they're twenty third now in the league and the mid-range shots they're allowing. So they're yeah. a little less, I, I think Ben Dietrich called it like a gimmick. He was like, just collapse on the rim and let people shoot. Yeah. Um, I was yeah. Like, Is this gimmick going away? Should the Sixers do this? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing just to not to change topics, but Tyrese Maxey, just because we mentioned him earlier, yeah. that floater game he has and shake too, that little mid-range just kind of push shot game is I think going to become like pretty detrimental like players really? that in the future, just because like we saw it last year with the Sixers, if you have a front office or a regime that doesn't really understand totally how to play a drop coverage, then you're just giving up those shots. And like huh. Kemba, Terry Rozier, Kyrie, like all those guys, Dame, not Harden, I guess, but all those kind of guys just know exactly where to get to a spot. And that's like, like money for them. So now if you get other teams trying to play that drop coverage without the personnel, without the philosophy, then you have the Tyrese Maxey kind of players who are just going to eat like the 38 point game he had. He was like all over the place in the mid range and hitting really tough shots too. Yeah. But, but like getting open looks too. So I think like, that's why I'm torn between him and Matisse playing really. Cause they take each other's minutes, I guess for kind of a little bit too, but. I, I want to see Tyrese out there because I want to see how quickly he can learn the game too because he has shown amazing strides already. Well, I think our intern who's listening for the Sixers <laughs> is going to flag this and say that you didn't want to credit James Harden with a good floater game. And I think Daryl's <laughs> going to be really upset. But no, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think uh, so. Furkan is like your extreme shooting. Matisse is your extreme defense. Maxi represents that theoretical two way. Mm hmm. Just in a smaller guard body, so it's not, it's not, it's yeah. never a perfect fit. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I All right. Let me let me read you some of these. So this is um, per minute. This is like two player two player lineup combos. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask you if this is like noise or there's something going on here in terms of the data. Okay. Um. So I'm looking at these and I'm seeing like Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons have played the most minutes together. 545 they have a net rating of 118 which is great mm-hmm. but then yep. i'm looking down here dwight and shake have a negative 18 so mm-hmm. their minutes have not gone quite as well for and shake minus nine then we get to a really bad one dwight howard and terry's maxi in 206 minutes 
minus 51. Sheesh. What um, do you <laughs> what do you think of the Dwight Howard bench units? We were going into the year saying like this is the best backup Joel's ever had. <laughs> like I guess their standards are like I did not think he'd be he's not terrible. Like he's not catastrophically bad. Like if he's in that Raptor series, I think the Sixers win that series. Oh yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. But it's still just little things and like not not to rip on Dwight, like I, I really like Dwight, but he just like is a seventeen year vet now and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. does not know how to control his strength still. And like, man, like this is all you need to do. Like this is what you should be teaching Joel, like how to get away with offensive fouls. Like you should you should know this. So I don't Yeah, the like, Celtics butt bump play. Yeah, like come on, do the tight seal, like anything. Just yeah. do some veteran stuff. Uh no, but I like Dwight. I just the I'd like to see how many of those minutes have Matisse with him too, just because the like a lot of noise has been made about the Matisse Ben Dwight lineups, and they are like Ben and Dwight both driving the same way, Matisse spotting up, but like that's not a threat, so it's just a lot of weird stuff. So it's also a weird season of obviously COVID, so I don't think it's too much noise yet that their net ratings that and the Ty- Tyrese and Dwight's net rating is that bad, just because a lot of those five-man lineups were probably really odd or even in garbage time or yeah they probably were garbage time. time so i don't think it's too much yet but dwight is obviously um not a hindrance but not as great as the sixers would have liked him to be as a backup and it's obviously hurting shake it's hurting tyrese it's hurting ben matisse yeah so yeah there's this idea and i think he's good i like having dwight yeah. and i think daryl talked about i want to give doc all the tools but i don't think he's done that because I, I, one of the combos I didn't name for you was Ben and Dwight, and they don't have a positive net rating. For yeah. a lot of the guys who have played 200 minutes or so, most of them are positive. They're a winning team, the best mm-hmm. record in the East. But from film, and I know you're a Jonah Bolden guy, like <laughs> clearly, clearly Ben benefits from a guy who can at least maybe shoot. Yeah, if they're going to run that Ben um, second unit with a Dwight-type center, I would rather them – have a stretch five. Not that, I mean, obviously I'd love Jonah, but I don't think Jonah is, is coming back anymore. Um, uh, yeah. We, I, I, it didn't sound like he did well with the G league team. No. Um, but like a B type, just a stretch five. He doesn't really necessarily have to be like the best defender, but can at least be mobile enough to stay with another team's four or five and just kind of be tall enough to stay vertical and not get overpowered like Ben does. And he plays the five. So yeah, I'd be interested. Like Mike Scott, was kind of that for a little bit, or Sonny Sova was kind of that for a little bit. There's kind of that four five combo, undersized four five combo. Um, did you speaking I, of Urson, did you see what he tweeted the other day? Was it the snow thing? Snow days off, and yeah. he's playing in deep snow. <laughs> he's the most adorable player in the league <laughs> or out of the league, I guess. But he is, he's, I love Urson. I'd take him back just for like just the aesthetic of it. If you Can were you- to, if you had to make a Colangelo All-Stars t-shirt. Would it have Urson, Bellinelli, Furkan, Redick? Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> um, was that Zaire? Yeah, that's still Zaire. No, that was he was slightly after. Yeah, the Zaire uh, was after. TL- TLC. <laughs> yeah, TLC. Oh, there's one I'm forgetting. But yeah. <laughs> oh, Pas- Pasechnik. Yeah, wait, Anza is Pasechniks. <laughs> I forget if it's plural or singular. He's out of the league now, I'm pretty sure. I think the Wizards waived him. Oh, really? Yeah. 
I was I was kind of looking forward to a like the Sixers could use him ironic self-deprecating tweet. <laughs> That'd be so funny. <laughs> Actually coming over like all those four and like the Matisse Lasor, Jonah Bolden, Andres all backing up Joel at a different point would have been hilarious. I, I love um, that because sometimes I like to get on my Knicks fan friends and say like, you know what, Phil Jackson he drafted Porzingis, he wanted to <laughs> trade him, and they pull their hair out. We hate Phil, but it's fun. To, it's fun to flip course on a narrative. Oh, absolutely. Just control the narrative how you want to. <laughs> That's all it is. Like, yeah. But, um, like, what this, like you mentioned, um, Daryl giving Doc the pieces, I think a stretch five type of player it doesn't even need to be a perfect player. Like, they don't need to be complete. But I don't know if the skill set that Dwight brings really uh, maximizes that bench unit and really does what they need to do. Not that I like, I like when a bench unit runs like the, um, what was it called? The United Nations lineup in the Calangelo era, the Ursan Marco and everyone. Then I like when the bench unit runs like that. It just is fun. And like, there's, <laughs> I like when there's not a lot of structure, there's just kind of chaos. Uh, so well, who, who would you put out there to run? Ursan. Um, no, right now, Matisse. To run. Ben. I, I was probably a Ben five lineup. Um, let's see. It'd probably be Curry, Green. Oh no! I need I need Maxi in there. Maxi Curry Green, someone and Ben. I guess Tobias maybe because Tobias and Ben run a decent amount. I mean, you're you're like a PJ Tucker away from a good small ball experiment. I don't know oh, if yeah. uh, Fertitta would give would ever work with Daryl in a trade, but no, I don't know. they could really <laughs> use PJ. Him. I don't know the number, so I might be very wrong. I think PJ's been like pretty bad this year. Like I think the age might have gotten to him. Again, don't quote me on that, but I feel like I've seen a lot of just bad PJ this year. We did we did a one hundred top one hundred draft on mm-hmm. Liberty Ballers recently, yes, yes. and I took him to help me with my Giannis lineups, mm-hmm. and I saw that too. But I'm thinking like the same with Draymond. I'm like, I think these veterans just know to, when yeah, to it's take, like, take yeah. weeks off, months off. Yeah, Draymond. if you put them in a real game seven, I think you'd see something. I think so too. Draymond has just been absolutely unreal this year too. <laughs> All the mm-hmm. offensive struggles, and I'm like, that's perfect. He's on my fantasy team. I love watching him play on the defensive end and just facilitating. He's so much fun. That's why the um the Curry, the Steph Curry trade needs to include Draymond Green to the Sixers. Need need them both to play with it, Joe. Has the Seth Curry trade been like one of the best trades in recent memory? I think so. And like I don't want to give up on Josh that quickly. When it happened, I was like, that's a win for both organizations i think because yeah josh then plays good defense off the ball with luca he doesn't really have to handle that much like he did in philly and then the sixers obviously get the off the dribble shooter they have wanted for six five years now <laughs> or not that they've wanted but a, a, an off ball shooter that they they need so i still want kyle lowry on the sixers <laughs> oh yeah tell me about that yeah. tell me yeah. about the Low- or lowry deal i was thinking about pull-up shooting and i was like kyle um <laughs> i don't know what his value like what he would command in the trade um i'll tell you this i'd be scared to trade with their gm yeah like he's a mastermind and he has yeah. shown he does not care like the he's able to separate the feelings from the business so he's traded Demar to get Kawhi, and they won a championship so yep. i think but i also think he understands that the raptors are not going to really do anything this year they probably need to start a rebuild and start to kind of figure out where they're going in the future and kyle lowry is obviously not going to be a part of that so yeah, I would be terrified to trade with them. But again, Daryl Morey, I feel like would be the only other one. Maybe I would have the trust to do it. I would trust so, him to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So if they can get Lowry for 
see, I don't know, because you can't give up Ben, can't give up Tobias, obviously. I don't really want to give up Curry because that would defeat the purpose, not defeat the purpose, but. It would have to be like Danny. Well, they have some guys who I hate to say this, but like are clearly perfect matching filler salaries, like Ferguson, Mm -hmm. maybe Poirier, who make like a good solid three mil. So two of them is six. Mm -hmm. You add in Scott and, you know, Green, and now you're at a, you're up to like 20 mil. Yeah. I just don't know if the value would be there but as fillers obviously yeah. and then they'd have to attach draft capital future picks anything right but if you can yeah if you can get off those smaller co- or not smaller contracts the less minutes guys who have those decent enough contracts to trade then that'd be perfect perfect if you don't have to give up like if you don't have to give up maxi like that'd be ideal i feel like they would gun for him just because the raptors have just a fantastic developmental system they can mold tyrese into a legitimate superstar i have faith in that but uh, if you can not give up any future young players who obviously have a role on this team or in this league, then I think that's a, a win in any Lowry trade. But again, I don't really, I don't know yet at least what a Lowry trade would look like for any team, really. I mean, this is not a major statement because no one single trade is ever likely, but I, mm-hmm. I don't see it happening. I think based on like Maury's career, he's always sort of like, you, you go really, really, really big for a star, but you don't you don't go for guys who you don't think are currently superstars. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do, you want a guy like that, you go for much, much, much cheaper. So I think he's in that like in between land that Daryl would not be. I think he'd rather save the assets to go big mm-hmm. at a distant point in the future. If someone were to become available. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. He's always been the John Andrew, I think to sign like the, in Houston, it was always the, like the Ben Mclemore's. He was always like the perfect rocket signing for me. That's just how like, he got Lowry there from yeah, Memphis. Yeah. Like he was like a third string point guard. Yeah, like it's just that kind of stuff that I think works mm-hmm. for Daryl and like sur- like surrounds a team like Harden and Chris Paul and Westbrook and all those guys. Like just surrounds good role players with him. I don't know really what the market is right now though for those types of dudes. Like there's not really anyone who you could point to and be like, oh yeah. They're due for a career revival, except for Zaire Smith. What, <laughs> what about what about like a guy like DeLon Wright or something in Detroit? Do you think? Yeah, like he'd be awesome. Wayne Ellington would obviously be like number one because he's having like the best shooting career of all, the best shooting season of all time. Yeah. Um, if you can get like Furcon in theory is that guy of just can play decent enough defense but still gets beat a couple times, but that's okay because he's just like a absolute sniper. Like every time he touches the ball but he is not there yet. I don't know if he will get there by the end of the season, even. It's I, hard I to know. imagine like an NBA official giving him respect. I know he tries to draw charges, but can you see like Tony brothers giving him that call in the playoffs? No, like absolutely not. <laughs> even if he got it, I would feel like, yeah, nah, they're not giving it. Yeah. So not that Furcon isn't good, but I think he's an expendable player. <laughs> he's had one of the weirdest character arcs here, uh, player arcs here of just wanting to get <laughs> traded. And then everyone, but him gets traded. But um, if you can work a young player to a team for a DeLon Wright type, a Wayne Ellington type, just not a veteran shooter, but a experienced enough shooter that can, again, knows where to be on the court around Joel Embiid, I think that would be phenomenal. And, of course, we're saying this after Furcon had, like, a 10-point quarter against the Kings with, like, a dunk and two drives. He, yeah, he brought he, – he loves those West Coast trips. That's where he had his game winner against Portland. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's making his return to Portland. Or no, Maybe he's a night owl like you. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, he was six hours ahead, though, so he's playing at, like, nine hours behind where he grew up. It's, yeah, it's closer to, like, anchor oh, yeah. time or something. Yeah. 
I was th- no, I named I named Delon because I think there are some guys that the Sixers might look at who have pretty good catch and shoot when open numbers, but not the best pull up numbers. And I think he fits that where it's like, maybe you can buy low on his three point percentage or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that kind of player, I think is what Daryl likes. Like again, Ben Matt, like I, as I, yeah, ben Matt Moore. I'm just like amused by, because I, I loved him out of uh, Kansas, right? Kansas. Yeah. Was and he the NB draft? I think he was the year before, but I okay. could be wrong. I thought he was the job draft. Maybe, yeah, maybe I don't know, but I was I was always like really high on him, and then he just like came out of nowhere again on the Rockets, and I was like, oh yeah, him, and I was like, 2013. Oh, yeah. right, so Nerlens, I, I can't. Yeah, Nerlens draft. Um, Nerlens draft, I think. Yeah. Um. So it was just kind of those guys. I'm trying to think of other ones, but the only thing that's rattling around my mind is Zaire Smith right now, so I can't. Um, yeah. What? What? Why is Zaire Smith not in the league? Explain this to me. He's on the uh, G League. Team for the Grizzlies, I'm pretty sure. I have to see when they're playing to watch. But that means anyone can sign him to an active roster, right? Yeah, I don't know. Like the Heat or the Raptors or anyone haven't signed him. Just like he's the perfect kind of just like jack of all, not jack of all trades, but just like the perfect mold for a team like that who can just. Yeah, he's a prototype of a of a good bet. It might not work out, but it's a bet. Yeah, want to take take a chance on that. Obviously, the Heat didn't last year because they were (laughs) obviously running for the finals, but. The Raptors, I feel like, would have by now because they're looking like they're going to blow it up, like we said. Um, the Nuggets, I know, were really high on him during the draft process. I was surprised they haven't made a swing at him yet. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, and there's a lot of stuff we don't know, too. Maybe he's taking a break or wants to stay in the G League just to develop a little more. But, like, I'm amazed he hasn't stuck anywhere because I'm still pretty – like, not – um, like uncautiously optimistic, but like I, I'm still just really convinced he's good and like is going to have a role in the NBA. My, one of my favorite uh, tweets of like the last six months was your Zaire Smith is going to mid Somar. Everyone, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. <laughs> I don't either. I just liked it. <laughs> like I like Midsummer and I like Zaire Smith. So, <laughs> or do you have any? Uh, do you have any new TV or movie recs for us? What are you? Uh, what are you into lately? um i've been slowly grinding through the wire but obviously everyone knows that one um i just saw a movie on yeah i'm on i just finished season two yesterday oh nice i I started in like november so i'm i'm slowly making my way the docs yes uh yeah yes i won't say any spoilers but i was very i like season two a lot but i watched a movie on amazon prime called starfish directed by uh, at white one of the like coolest movies i've seen it was really small movie that me and my friend max carlin just like were blown away by it's oh, just, yeah celtics celtics analyst celtics oh he's he's just a favorite among celtics twitter yeah. <laughs> i love max so much um but he recommended it to me and was like it's the first movie i ever finished and then started right again oh my so god I, really i've never done that so i was like all right well i gotta watch this and i watched it and like really enjoyed it back and to then, back and then by the end i was like I like sat on my couch for five minutes before like doing anything. I was like, holy crap. Like that was really cool. Okay. Just, awesome. Really creative. Yeah. Starfish on Amazon prime. And any hobbies? I know you're not, you're not currently jump roping now. Cause it's cold. It's cold. And I hurt my knee in December. I like landed oh, on it probably just cause of overuse and doing what? jump roping. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I jumped one time, landed and was like, Ooh, that did not feel good. So like I, a one legged thing. Uh, yeah, my left knee just like kind of buckled and I was like, oh, so I've been trying to rest that and there's snow on my deck and I can't jump rope inside because my ceilings are low. So you, you, you could dunk, right? You could dunk a ball. I cannot dunk. Oh, okay. I 
I had a growth spurt in um, senior year of high school. Uh, my license still says I'm 5'10". I'm 6'3 now. <laughs> so my knees have hurt like forever. And I can like not like they just do not cooperate with me. I have a really long. I have a good plus I have a plus wingspan. I'm 6'3 with a 6'5 wingspan. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, nice. I'm, I can palm a ball. So like you'd think I could dunk, but no. So, um, yeah, hopefully by the summer I can dunk and jump rope again. Yeah, hopefully we'll get your left knee back, yeah. back in order. Well, you've got a lot of snow to just wait it out, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm icing up, I'm doing other stuff, working on my core, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's critical. Uh, and all right, so do you have any predictions for, like, do you think that Matisse and Maxi are going to, like, cannibalize each other? Do you think we'll, we'll not have a mm. world where they're both in the playoff rotation? Um, I don't think they'll both. I don't see them getting in the same game. Yeah, in the playoffs, maybe if Doc sees an adjustment, he's to make mid series. One could get time over the other as like the eighth or ninth guy. So if you're starting five, Shake has to get minutes. I'd think Dwight, Sir at seven, and then you got one or two more. So that's probably between uh, Furcon, Matisse, and uh, Tyrese. So I don't see barring injuries and everything. I don't see a fully healthy Sixers lineup in which. Matisse and Shea, or uh, Matisse and Tyrese get in the same playoff game, but again, over the series, I think it could happen. If you need an offensive engine, or you need a defensive stalwart, like give and take. It'd be great if you could just combine Furkan and Matisse together. They'd be such a good player. <laughs> Would it be Covington? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Ref, yeah, yeah. Our next trade target. <laughs> I mean, he's always going to be he's he's always going to be at least a type of player everyone wants, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't think I think Portland's good enough to keep him though. Yeah, he is one of the most unexpectedly polarizing players in Philadelphia sports. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was bizarre. I hated that. I yeah, like I like what you on. said about Shake. Someone was it was it you who tweeted? Someone was like, Shake always looks sad and mad, and you were like, but I'll hug him. Yeah, I was going to give Shake <laughs> a hug. <laughs> Same with Covington. I'd I wanted him. that for Cub. Yeah. Yeah. I was like go to the, the stretch. He just couldn't shoot, and like wasn't making anything. I'm like no, this guy's good. He's a good person. Like, I need to hug Robert Covington now. Dude, if you're getting a top five defender on the perimeter, will you not take 37% from on, like, six attempts per game or something? Yeah, that's Come the on. one, like, um, misunderstanding of it, think about his shooting, was that he shot, like, both sub-40, like, his entire career. It was always – or entire Sixers career. It was always, like, 35 to 39, I think. But he was attempting so many a game. So you're shooting 33, 30 uh, – 5% but you're making like three or four a game. Yeah. He was less shy than even like Mike Scott sometimes. Yeah. So like, it's less about like understanding the percentages more about understanding like what he brings to the team. And there were like shots he shouldn't have taken on the Sixers. Like he wasn't always the best offensive player, obviously, but no, I I would take that kind of shooting and that kind of defense over. I hate to say it because Matisse is my guy, but I take that over Matisse obviously any day. (laughs) All right. So let's wrap up on a, a good note. Seth, and Ben both look their healthiest that they have in the last like month. Mm-hmm. What what was your takeaway from what what felt to me like I don't know if Ben was dealing with they reported knee swelling. Mm-hmm. It was when the team had a COVID outbreak. And clearly Seth was reported as having COVID and was not himself since. Yeah. But it felt like the first game where I was like, you know what? They they both kind of look right. Mm-hmm. Did you know ben, do, you, do you feel like that? Seth was like very clearly. Like, this is like the weirdest, dumbest season. They like should not be playing, and yeah. like it obviously wore on Seth like very clearly. Like he just 
looked like a shell of himself. Like he just wasn't in it at all. Del Curry said um, there were days switching back and forth. If he would just Seth would feel good, then he'd feel terrible, then he'd feel fine, then he'd feel hmm. terrible again. So like that's a scary thought. Ben, yeah. I, I was very critical of Ben on that stretch he had because under my knowledge, he was completely healthy, even though oh, like, really? uh, like I never breaking really, news. I didn't really saw anything besides like the swelling, but like if he's hurt, he shouldn't be, if he's injured, he shouldn't be playing. But like, if he's hurt, you gotta at least make a, make a move. Did he um, miss like one game or something? I think Maybe. he missed one, but that was, yeah, but it was before that it was happening too. It was yeah. Just, yeah. Like, but it was yeah, like, I, maybe he's on the block. Maybe he's being traded. Yeah, it was right before the Harden stuff. It just looked like he was out of sync and everything. He's like, what? He wasn't playing well. No. And I didn't really expect it was going to be an injury. Maybe it was COVID. Like, we don't know. The NBA is very uh, shady with that. So I'm very happy to see Ben, again, looking competent on the floor and playing well with Joel. Like, that's really important. And, like, the psychological impact of, like, thinking you're going to get traded to, like, a – a tanking team but a like not as good team for like a superstar player like you're about to be shipped off in place you were drafted so they can win a championship without you like that thought's scary like that like these people are human that's that's really terrifying. if you were like yo you gotta move and take your puppies and move in a pandemic to a team that stinks i'd be like ah it's blowing up like we're gonna win a championship and you're not gonna be here you're gonna be halfway across like that's that's not like the, not at all an easy thing to deal with. I would have hated but, that. And I might still have some resentment. Yeah. And like we, there's been that before, like people in the draft who like teams pass on them. They're like, well, I'm never going to forget that, which is great. Like, yeah. Aaron Rodgers always says that. Oh yeah. And like, so there's all that stuff. Lamar Jackson too. Yeah. Like, yeah. But there's that kind of just weird psychological aspect of it that I think a lot, not a lot of people think about, including me at the time. Like I had thought about it, but I didn't really apply it that much. But looking back on it, it looked like he was hurt or experiencing illness. And now he is definitely healthy and just playing like a madman, doing everything the Sixers needed him to do. He attempted double-digit shots against the Kings, which I don't know how many times he's done that this year. But that's just a good sign to see. Even if it wasn't the most efficient, he's still getting shots up, which is all I want. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a really, really, really fun player to root for Like when yeah. he's playing well. And mm-hmm. I know he's so divisive, but if you have been sort of on the side of – Ben, between all the debates, it's you love it to just watch him do what he did last night. Yeah, when he's on, he's really fun, and then at the same time, when he's off, he's really off, and he's like borderline unbearable to watch. I've, been, <laughs> I've had, I've rode the roller coaster up and down. Like I think we I, all have. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my god, like, like, and it also didn't help him that like help didn't help Ben that Tyrese was like breaking out and doing all the stuff Ben can't do, and it was like, oh well, James Harden might be a sixer and like. So it's just all that weird stuff, but I'm glad to see they seem to have figured it out. Daryl, I think, is going to kind of ride with this roster, it seems, and just add a few more puzzle pieces, not to, like, disturb the chemistry they clearly have going. Do you want – would you t- go for, like, Lonzo Ball? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to guard. I'd rather get a Bielicha type of just uh, – Let's just say like you that- could get both. Let's say you could get a stretch five – and then mm-hmm. maybe maybe use like the upcoming pick and a second and some salary filler like Mike Scott on ball. I would do that. I think I don't know about the picks just because I like the draft a lot. I need I need picks, but um. Yeah, no. <laughs> if you can if you can get Lonzo, if you can get Lonzo for cheap, I think you do that. He's been really solid this year. People I think kind of just fell off on him after he left the Lakers really and struggled in New Orleans to start. 
Um, but he's really good defensive guard. He does a lot of good stuff on offense. He's a good decision maker. So I would do that. I think that would be a good backup for Ben, I guess, the one. But then again, if you do that, then you're taking away – you're basically solidifying taking away Tyrese's minutes and some of Shake's minutes too, I guess. So it's it's up – like – It's he, so weird. It's like you yeah. said. It's a weird year. Like you just said, like Maxi breaks out, and now he's getting zero DMP. So yes. it's, it's just weird, and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I think Doc probably doesn't either. I think it's just – Yeah. And so, like, it's – like – in practice, you probably should just get the better player and try and win a championship, but long-term developmental, like, it's just weird time. There's different timelines for every player, and, like, Joel is obviously having maybe his career year. I hope he can keep it up for the next couple of years. But his Oh, my God, he certainly is not good. Yeah, his window is obviously a lot shorter and smaller than other players in the league, so it's a limbo of do you try and kind of grow your young players to be good for the future, or do you win now because of Joel with Joel? How do you balance that? So, yeah. Or do you thread the needle and try to do both? Yeah. Like that's, I hope or none <laughs> or, or nothing. And you just kind of ride it out and see what happens. If it happens. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, th- I think they're in a really good position now moving forward with the season. I mean, they're fun. They're certainly a lot closer than I thought. Uh, I would have had like, I mean, we didn't even mention the nets, but like they maybe have just a super team. No one's going to be able to beat. Yeah, and we have to account for that, but uh, but they're a lot closer to like the Bucks than I would have guessed. Yeah, I'd say so too. I haven't watched a lot of Bucks this season, but just from what I see, they're just really good. Again, <laughs> well, we have a better record, and it wouldn't have been a surprise if they won like sixty-two games. Yeah, they've also had. I think I saw a stat today. They've had one of the most healthy teams. Like this is so weird to say. They've had one of the least COVID-riddled teams this year. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, been, that's yeah. a factor. Yeah, and the they've Seahawks been are the only team that had no cases. Yeah, football. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's just that weird, weird, weird season of any any prediction I make or anyone makes is just probably a crapshoot this year, just because like there's no real basis to go off of. Of you don't know what's going to happen, who's going to get injured, who's going to get COVID. Uh, yeah, so I, I think the Sixers have a good shot though. So put our money on the Knicks. Yeah, <laughs> I had a bet for the Wizards to make the Eastern Conference Finals at the beginning of the year, just because I was like, maybe. I, I mean, it wasn't impossible. Yeah. And then it quickly became impossible. I don't think they even have a winning record when like Westbrook is in the game or something. Yeah, they are. They are abysmal. But the Sixers aren't. <laughs> All right. And on that note, let's <laughs> let's uh, let's let people go. And thanks so much. If you want to plug anything. Uh, what, what can I play? Uh, my Twitter is at the Kevin Rice. I do breakdown videos there. I do some deranged tweeting there. Um, that's, that's elite, uh, elite deranged tweeting. Elite deranged I, might, tweeting. I might add anytime. Like if you're up at four in the morning <laughs> and you're just wondering what the hell's going on in this pandemic world, follow Kev. <laughs> I'll probably tweet some strange picture, some strange thought. I don't know. Also drink Chadsford winery wine because that's where I work right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Chadsford Winery, everyone, Westchester, uh, Chester, PA. All right, extra wine all around, and uh, and a good Twitter follow, and definitely follow his his basketball um, breakdowns because you will you will learn a lot, and they're fun. Right. Thank you so much, Dave, for having me on. Yeah, man. Have a great day. You too. All right. Take care.